atmosphere is changing now For the Spirit of the Lord is here The evidence is all around That the Spirit of the Lord is here Hallelujah. Well, let's just start with going to the Father this morning. Father God, we are so very grateful for you. We're so grateful to be in this house this morning. We're so very grateful for the price that Jesus paid uh, for our salvation and for our redemption. And Lord, we just turn this morning over to you. We, we have enjoyed your presence here this morning, Father. We just absolutely love to bask in the presence of our God. And Father, I know that within your presence comes all good things. All good things, Father. And Lord, we just thank you. I turn this message over to you this morning. And Father, just um, I just pray that you'll just work with me, help me to present it in a clear, concise manner. And Lord, we just thank you. We love you so much. And we ask blessings upon the people. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Well, I'm going to begin today by sharing something that I heard a few weeks ago. Uh, that uh, actually, I mean, this sounds like a weird way to start out a sermon, right? But it was really disturbing to me. And um, it actually, since then, I've thought about it and thought about it. In fact, I haven't been able to get it off my mind, what, was, what I heard. So it actually kind of became the catalyst for this message. So it was a Sunday morning. Bill and I were getting ready for church. And as our routine is, we had on the TV listening to one of the TV ministers that we like. We'll call him Jimmy, because his name is Jimmy. <laughs> so we're going to call him Jimmy. So anyway, we were listening to Jimmy that morning, and, and that particular morning I was rushing around more than usual, trying to get ready, and I like to straighten up my house before I go, so I was doing all that and rushing around. So I wasn't paying a lot of attention to what was being said that morning by Jimmy until... I came through the kitchen, rounded the counter, heading into the living room, and I caught something that I heard him say that just stopped me dead in my tracks. And what he was saying was he, got, he was sharing how he had been invited to speak at a conference somewhere years ago, and along with other ministers. I don't know how many others, but there were some ministers there. And he said that as he was sitting there, the, the pastor or the minister that was to speak before him was called up to speak. The gentleman uh, crossed the floor. He went, got behind the pulpit, and he lifted up his Bible, and he said, I will not define my life by the four corners of this book. And I was shocked. And if that were not disturbing enough to me, he went on to share his views on how he feels that there should be a newer New Testament, one that is more in keep with today's culture. So you can imagine my surprise. <laughs> you can imagine I'm thinking I'm not hearing right. I went through this whole gambit of things. But actually, I just, I was pretty calm. I just stood there, you know, as, and as most people would. I was waiting to see him 
pelt and buy tomatoes and cabbages, all that kind of stuff. But that didn't happen. In fact, Jimmy went on to say that the speaker was met with thunderous applause as he closed out his message that day. I, it, it's having the same effect on you all. That's how it affected me. It's like, okay, I, I just went to another time realm or something and I didn't hear right or something, but I heard right. And I wasn't sure if the applause was because they were just really glad it was over with <laughs> or whether it was that there was such a strong, strong spirit of deception in that place that the people just weren't hearing right. In either case, I was dumbfounded. And I was, and I was standing there, and I'm still looking at the TV. I still need to be getting ready for church, but I'm still looking at the TV. I was probably really late that day. <laughs> but I was listening to the TV, and, and I'm standing there, and my thinking was, Lord, is this what it has come to? Is this... Is this what we have come to in this time, in this world? Have we come to a point where, we, the, where the Bible, the Word of God, the Holy Word of God, is now being considered passe? That it's now being considered outdated? That it's now considered irrelevant? And I tell you what, his, his ideas that he was sharing, the things that he was sharing was like the Bible needs to be revised to include the ideals and the values and the uh, beliefs of today's culture. And that wasn't by the unsaved, mind you. That was by the Christians. That was by the church. And I thought about this statement that he said about not defining his life by the four corners of this book. And I thought, Lord, what else do I have that I can define my life by? There is nothing, nothing, Joy, in this world that I can define my life by except by the four corners of this precious book Amen. and every living, marvelous word in between. I have nothing else. The world can't offer me anything that I can define my life by. A lot of people are trying, but you can't define your life by anything in the world other than this absolute, unchangeable, unfailing, God-inspired, God breathed word in between. This book has the ability to reach deep into my heart. It reaches deep into my soul. It covers every aspect of my life. It covers every, everything, every, everything about me. So how can I say or, or believe that my life is not defined by it? It touches everything. Do y'all know what everything means? Everything. <laughs> everything in my life is defined by the word of God. Now, John, the sixth chapter, 
That's where we'll be going first today. But John, the sixth chapter, gives us the account of when Jesus was instructing his disciples on what you and I now know as communion, on holy communion. And it is the communion of his flesh and his blood, and it's done in remembrance of all that Jesus Christ has done for us. And Jesus is instructing his disciples, and he's telling them. He's saying, I am the bread from heaven. And he said, if you eat of this bread, then you will live forever. And then verse 54, Jesus said, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up in the last day. And therefore, verse 60, we're going to go down to verse 60. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who could understand it? So I want to take just a moment here, and I want to establish what the this is that they said was so hard to understand. So, okay, class, who were they listening to? They were listening to Jesus. You all get gold stars. Okay, they were listening to Jesus. What had they heard? The word, the truth. Okay, they had heard the words that he spoke. They had heard the word. And verse 61, it says, when Jesus knew within himself, and, and I'll just share with you this morning, you all know that you can't hide anything from Jesus, right? Because he knows everything. He knows within himself what's going on. But when Jesus knew in himself that the disciples complained about the word, this, we, didn't we establish that this is the word? Okay. So when, so when Jesus knew in himself they complained about this or the word, he said to them, does this offend you? Class, it's time to shine. What is the this? The word. Does the word offend you? Does the word offend you? This is so deep to my heart. I've had the best time the last couple of weeks studying this. I, I'm having vision problems, and, and I told Glenn, I said, I'm giving them to God. I want to share this. <laughs> you know, I want to share this because I feel like it's something the church needs to hear. He said, does the word offend you? Now, I want to give you a lesson on what the word offense is, and this is a lesson that I learned years and years ago uh, that was given by Keith Moore. You all probably familiar with Keith Moore. It was a teaching of his on offense, and, and he tells us that what offense actually is, is that it is a snare or a trap. So when we have offense against God, when we have offense against his word, when we even have offense against his people, then we have just walked into a snare. We have walked into a trap that the enemy has set for us. And that trap is meant for one reason and one reason only, and that is not only to pull you down, but to pull everybody down around you. Because you now have offense against that person. Amen? It's a snare. It's a trap. And verse 663, Jesus is still talking to them, and he says, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words, the words I speak to you, the words, I speak to you, they are spirit, 
and they are life. And verse 66 says, from that time, many of his disciples went back and they walked with him no more. And I think maybe that is one of the saddest statements that I see in the New Testament. That because people, because people thought it was a hard saying, what Jesus was saying was hard because they didn't understand, because they got caught up in complaining about the word and they got offended at the word, then it says that they went back and they walked with him no more. Now, when I was studying this this week, I was reading and said, they, they went back, they went back. And I knew there was something there. I said, God, they went back. I said, God, where did they go back to? What, what did they have to go back to? And the Lord revealed to me that it wasn't so much a location, obviously, that they went back to, but it's a mindset. It's a mindset. It's an attitude. What they went back to was not, they didn't go back to Jerusalem. They didn't go back here. They didn't go back to Galilee. They went back in their minds. They went back to the place they were before. They went back to living like they were before. They went back to talking like they did before. They went back to doing everything that they had done before. Four. They went back to the weak and beggarly elements that Galatians, the fourth chapter, tells us about. And in rejecting his word, because it, they did reject his word. Amen? They rejected it. We can see that. They rejected his word. And in rejecting his word, they rejected Jesus. And in rejecting Jesus, they rejected spirit and they rejected life. Eternal life. They, re, they turned around, walked back to their old stupid ways, and they rejected eternal life because the word offended them. Is this ministering to anybody? Hallelujah. It didn't fit into their way of thinking. They didn't understand it. So they rejected it. Verse 67 said, Then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? And 68 says, But Simon Peter answered and said to him, and I love this, said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And I love what the Amplified Bible says because it says you alone, you alone, Lord, have the words of eternal life. You are our only hope. This uneducated fisherman who's always tripping over his own feet, and everything he does was the only one that got it. You know, all these disciples, and by the way, when it talks about his disciples that walked away, I want you to know that when he was instructing the disciples, this wasn't just the 12, obviously. There were many, many, many disciples, and we don't know how many walked away. We don't know if there were 10 that walked away. We don't know if there was 50 that walked away. We don't know if there was 200 that walked away. All that we know is that somebody got offended at the word. They complained. What happens when you complain? If I'm complaining to LaRoyce, what am I doing? I'm pulling her into my action. I'm pulling her into my way of thinking, in my way of doing things. And then, and then she's got a choice. She can either take my hand and come with me in my stupidity, or she can tell me the word. And when I was looking at this, when it said that, that they complained, I thought, wow, 
I'd never seen this before. I've read this so many times, and I had never seen that when they complained against the word, what they were actually doing was saying, well, Jesus is kind of the blame for all this. Isn't, isn't that right? I've never seen that before. It's like, you know, this, this is getting hard. This is getting heavy. This is getting to the point where I just don't understand it anymore. But, you know, that's really Jesus' fault. It's really his fault. You know, and it's being a teacher of the word. You know, I, I, have, I try to make my sermons clear. I try to make them concise. I try to make them, you know, on a level where people can really understand them and not have to go home scratching their heads saying, what? What did she say? You know, I don't like that. So, you know, they say the student is good as the teacher, right? Well, that's kind of the way it was with Jesus, only they thought that the students were better than the teacher. You know? He must have done something wrong in his teaching. That, that deal, I mean, you know, that deal about the flesh and the blood, that couldn't be right. That couldn't be right. You know? How many times do we get caught up in that? How many times? Uh, this book and this book alone, as it stands, unaltered and untweaked, has the words of life. And you seamstresses out there, I thought yesterday, you know, you all know what altering's about. You know, you all, why do you alter something? You alter or adjust it to make it fit better, right? But it's great for clothing, but not so much the Word of God. This word must never, will never, can never, shall never be altered or adjusted to make it a better fit for today's culture. And in fact, it's the other way around. Today's culture with all of its ideals and its values and its beliefs are the ones that need to be altered. Amen? They, they're the ones that need to be changed not to, not to fit in or blend with the Bible. But just change. <laughs> you know, just stop being what they are and just change. And the Word of God, you know, it's, it's so amazing. It's so wonderful. And we must never, ever, ever try to pull things in to make it something that it's not. And people are doing that. They are trying to make the Word of God something that it's not because there's culture out there, there's ideals, there's values, there's beliefs that belong out there. They belong out there in the world. They don't belong in the Christian community, but they're out there in the world. And yet we have Christians going, I like that. You know, I want some of that. So they pull it in, and they pull it in. And they pull it in, and they pull it in, trying to make it fit better, make the whole thing fit better. But our precious word of God will never fit any of that. It's not made to fit it. It's God's spoken word. And we all know that, that beautiful hymn, On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is shifting sand. All other ground is shifting sand. And Mary, I don't, I don't know the Hebrew word <laughs> for all. <laughs> but, private joke. But anyway, you know, I, I have my own definitions of things, okay? My definition of all is the entirety of everything. The entirety. Everything. And what is other ground? Again, I didn't even bother to try to research that because I felt like the Lord gave me a really good definition for other ground. It's everything that exists 
and or operates outside of or apart from the Word of God. Did y'all catch that? It's everything that exists and or operates outside of or apart from the Word of God. And I, I just want to share with you today that we are called to go to a lost and dying world, aren't we? And you know what? I cannot take. What am I going to take? I have to ask myself that. What am I going to take to a lost and dying world? I cannot take other ground to a lost and dying world. I can't take shifting sand to a lost and dying world and go, here, build your life on this. Build your life on something that's constantly shifting, something that's constantly changing, something that's constantly falling apart. But you know what? I can take this. I can take what's within the four corners of this book. And I can take it to a lost and dying world. And I can say, here, build your life on this. Build your life on the rock. Build your life on something that's steady. It's steadfast. It's solid. It doesn't fall apart. It's not even subject to falling apart. Build your life on this. Not that other stuff, not shifting sand, not those things out there in the world, not the ideals and the values and the beliefs of the culture. Don't build your life on that because it's shifting sand. It's going to fall apart on you. But build your life on the word of God because it is the rock. It is always steadfast and it's always solid. So when I, I, I feel like I'm, I'm uh, today, <laughs> You know, I'm not my nice, sweet, gentle self. <laughs> but uh, anyway, it really bothers me when I hear people thinking, and not only thinking, but preaching that the Word of God needs to be altered, needs to be changed, needs to be tweaked in any way so as to appease the worldly culture of this world and to make it more comfortable or palatable for them to continue in their darkness and their deception. And by the way, the Bible wasn't written. You need to all understand this. The Bible wasn't written to make the unsaved comfortable. A lot of people say, we don't, we won't, we don't want to take some of the stuff in here and, and give it to the world because <laughs> it's going to really ruffle some feathers. You know, they're, they're not going to like it. You know, it's not going to make them comfortable. But the Word of God was never created to make the unsaved comfortable. It is created so that it's, it's going to, <clears throat> excuse me, that it is going to make them squirm. It's going to make them even defiant at times. And it will even make them mean if they are under the conviction, but it will never, ever make them comfortable. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ, the Word, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
And John 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1.14 says, and the flesh became, or the Word became flesh, and he dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. So yes, we have established that the Word has never changed. It is as relevant today as it has ever been. It is God's word. God does not change. God cannot change. It's part of his character. He can't do it. It's like he can't lie because one of his attributes is a, is a thing called veracity. It's truth. He can't change. He, he can't even, he couldn't even pull himself in a different direction and come down to a certain place or whatever. Because, you know, and just locate himself in one place. He can't do that because he's, om he's uh, omnipotent. He's, he's omniscient. He knows everything. These are all the attributes of God. Mm, praise God. He is the same. He's the same. So, but whenever we begin to uh, add to or whatever we begin to take away, and this is going to give, you may be rubbing your head and really we may need a, Alder call for headaches afterwards. But I had to really think about this, and it's like didn't take very long. But I thought, you know, when we begin to add to the Word of God, or when we begin to take away from the Word of God, are we not rejecting the Word of God? That's something to think about. If we're rejecting it, or if we're adding to or if we're taking away from what God has already said is his holy word, are we not rejecting what he says is his holy word? Okay, I want to take another quick look at those disciples. So if we just take, a, if we just take that small, small little portion of scripture that I read to you about the disciples, and it, it looks like they walked away because... They couldn't understand just that one thing. That one thing that Jesus said. But in actuality, they rejected the whole thing because they rejected him. He was the living word, and it says that they went back and they walked no more with the living word. They walked no more, Judy. No more, ever. They gave up spirit. They gave up life. And they patted and rubbed down and catered to that flesh. But it says that they walked with him no more. It was their choice. What did this scripture start out by saying? It said, they went back. Didn't say Jesus sent them back. It said, they went back and they walked with him no more. That was their choice to reject Jesus. That was their choice to never walk with him again. They chose flesh over life. They chose flesh over spirit. They did not want, now listen to this, they did not want the full counsel of God's word. They wanted only the part that was easiest to swallow. And I'm sure, I'm sure they would have gladly taken the eternal life part or the, uh, as we all would, the 
being raised in the last day part, you know? Who wouldn't want that, right? Who wouldn't want Jesus? So I'm going to give you eternal life. I'm going to raise you up at the last day, you know, and just do away with the flesh and the blood thing, you know? They would gladly have taken those parts, but the fact is they had no spiritual insight into what Jesus was really trying to tell them. Can you all see why I called this, uh, why I titled this message The Sin of Mixing? Because it is a sin. It is a sin. When you begin to think that the Word of God isn't complete, when the Word of God is not enough, and you have to start bringing things in and bringing things in and bringing things into it so that it is more comfortable for your sensibilities, then that's a sin. I think Revelation has a great deal to say about the adding to and the taking away from the Word of God. I didn't go there, but it's there. <laughs> so that's why I called it the sin of mixing. Now, I'll give you another definition. Mixing means to blend into one mass so that individual characteristics are gone. It is the intermingling of two elements to make them lose their unique distinctiveness. Okay, mixing means to blend into one mass so that individual characteristics are gone. It is the intermingling of two elements, and I'll say, or more, causing them to lose their distinct or separate uniqueness. And sadly, this is just what we're seeing in, the, in Christianity today. Christians are losing their Christ-like distinctiveness. They're losing their Christ-like uniqueness and their Christ-like difference as a result of blending today's culture, blending today's ideals, today's values, today's beliefs in with their Christianity. And what is happening is that, you know, people don't want to be seen as different. They won't, don't want to be set apart. So they, they do. They just begin to blend. They try to make themselves look like what they want to be. So they pull stuff in and they begin to blend it and they lose their Christ-like distinctiveness, their Christ-like uniqueness as a result of that. And yet from the very beginning, wasn't it God who chose to reveal his presence only through a set-apart, unique, different people, holy people? who he had called out and set them apart. Deuteronomy 7, 6 says, in the, in the King James Version, it says, For thou art holy, a holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God has chosen thee. There we go. The Lord thy God has chosen thee to be a special, called out people unto himself, above, above, above all the people on the earth. And you might say, well, that's Old Testament. Yeah, that's Old Testament. But you know what? Because of God's great love and because Jesus' great love for you and the great sacrifice that he made that we might be redeemed back to God and called out of that darkness, now we are those chosen ones that God has set apart for his glory and to reveal his presence to, to a lost and dying world. Can we do that if we're mixed? Israel didn't. Israel couldn't. Israel could not. 
Because from the time of Adam and Eve's transgression, God set into motion a plan that would bring the Redeemer into the world, into this earth, but he could only do it through a set-apart, different, unique people. 1 Peter 2.9 says, You are a chosen generation. This is speaking to you all. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, and King James verse, Version uses the word peculiar there, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And if we're going to be the ones to carry forth his presence to a lost and dying world, don't you think our lives must be defined by the four corners of this book? Amen. How could it be otherwise? How could it be otherwise that our lives would not be defined by the word of God and we would still go out and carry forth the presence of God while we're being mixed and blended with the ideals and the everything of the world. You know, we cry out, Lord, you alone, you alone have the words of eternal life. Now the problem with Israel was that they just loved to mix. And they had been, they had been the chosen set-apart channel through which the Redeemer was going to come. And yet they despised the reproach of being different. They despised the reproach of being set apart. So they began to mix in the culture with the godless nation or of the godless nations that God had commanded them to have nothing to do with. And God had told them, He said, I will be your people, or I will be your God, and you will be my people. Okay, get that right. Thank you. He says, I will be your God, and you will be my people. And when he said, I will be your God, what he was saying was, I'll be Jehovah Jireh to you. He said, I will be, I will be El Shaddai, the one who is more than enough. You will lack nothing. I will be more than enough for you. And he should have been more than enough. Amen? But the thing is that once Israel began to look around at the other nations and saw what the other nations had, then he was no longer enough. So they decided, well, you know, those nations, they've got kings. We've never had kings, but now they thought they wanted kings. So God let them have a king. And their life was sort of messed up pretty good from there on out. But they, had, they, they, they saw the immorality that was in the world, and they wanted that. They saw the beautiful but godless women of the other nations, and they lusted after them. They wanted idols. They wanted molten images. They wanted to do away with everything and anything that made them different than the nations that they were supposed to not get mixed up with. God, in Deuteronomy, God has some very definite things to say about the world and what they were not supposed to do with the world. Don't marry with the world. Boy, that fell flat on his face, didn't it? That's all they could do after a while. He said, I am the Lord thy God. You worship none other. Well, Blew that too. Everything God told them to do, they ended up blowing it. Why? Because of the sin of mixing. 
they was mixing it up. They loved to mix it up. So they just did away with everything that had anything to do with uh, making them different or unique and set apart. And the result was that they developed what we call a great affinity toward the things of the world. And it was done by mixing. Affinity, I'll give you a definition of that. Affinity means a feeling of identification with or connection to. And the Bible tells us that all this mixing, all this pulling in from here, pulling in from here, and pulling in here that made them happier and more comfortable, all that stuff was evil in the sight of the Lord. Oh, folks, isn't it enough? Isn't God enough? Isn't he enough? Do we have to, do we have to look at what the world has? and say, I want that. God said no, but hey, he winks at disobedience, right? So they pull in the idols. They pull in the, the lust. They pull in the marriage with the unsaved. I'm really fighting not going where I want to go with this, but I won't. I'll behave myself. I think the Lord just said, choose to shut up. Okay. But anyway, they were choosing things to bring into their, uh, what we, we are now Christians. They were not called Christians back then, but they were choosing to bring into that godly life, into that godly distinctness and that godly set-apartness, and they were choosing to bring all of this that's in the world in because it looks so good, and it ended up being the ruination, almost, of them. And they developed this great affinity with them. They begin to identify themselves. That's, you know, that's bad. I don't know how else to put it. That's just bad. It's bad to, to look at the world and, and want to pull it in, but, but then when you develop a connection to it, when you start being identified with that, that's really bad. But that's what they did. And the Bible said it was evil in the sight of the Lord. Proverbs 14, 12 said, There is a way that seems right to a man, but the, its end is the way of death. What's the wages of sin? Death. So you say, you know, some people might say, I won't say you say it, but some people might say, well, you know, you, you're telling us to be separate from the world. You're telling us to be different and set apart and called out from the world. But doesn't Jesus tell us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature? Yes, 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 yes. He does. He tells us to go into the, all the world, all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. But he also says, you are in that world. We're in the world. We're walking around. We're in it, Right but we're not of it. We're not a part of it. We're not connected to it. We're not identified by it because we are a separate, called out, special, unique, distinctive, holy people of God. Amen. 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 Don't you feel special? 
We should feel special, not because we did anything, not because we are anything, but because of who he is and what he did. That's why we are special. And you know what? Israel, the only reason that they held any distinctiveness, any set-apart, any called-out value at all, was not because of anything they did. It was because the presence of God was with them. And anything that we do, it's, it's not us. It's not us. It's because the Spirit of God is with us that makes us set apart and distinctive. It's because of what Jesus Christ did for us, that he went to the cross. He took all the sins of all the world before and after and, and everything in between, all the sins of the world, upon himself. And he handled it. And he took the keys away from Satan. And here we are today, called out. We're different, Sandra. You're peculiar. <laughs> John's peculiar. <laughs> yeah. He's my buddy, I can say that. We're peculiar, we're different, we're set apart, we're called out, we're unique, we are different. Not because of us, but because of Christ in us. And I just want to encourage you people today because, you know, I remember Mary spoke three weeks ago, I think, and I remember the first part that she started saying uh, as she came out and she said, she was talking about the challenges, I won't say this like Mary did, but this is how it, it translated to me, Mary, was that, you know, we are faced, as, as Christians, we are faced every day with challenges, challenges that are offered to us, aren't we? There's you know, the things of the, of the world, it's like we are given the, the option, actually, or the choice to either receive those and be identified with them. Mary didn't say all this, but be identified with them or connected to them, or we can just say no, no, no. We can, you know, just say no, right? Say no to the world. Say no, I don't, I don't want to be connected to that. I want to be set apart. I, I want to be seen as different. I want to be seen as set apart. I want my life to show it. I want to be set apart. But a lot of Christians don't want to be seen as different. They don't want to be seen as set apart. And that's why they do all this crazy mixing in and all that. We are called out, set apart, and we are unique. We're a holy people of God. And yes... We have a commission, and it is to go out into all the world and preach the gospel. That's our commission. Our challenge is not to become like the world. While we're out there ministering to the world, preaching to the world, getting right up with the world, it's a challenge not to become like that world. It's a challenge not to get contaminated by the world. That's why it is, it is so important, it's so imperative that we know what defines our life, isn't it? That we define our life by the word of God. Praise God. You know, Leslie, would you come please? <clears throat> I never, I didn't feel, I was praying, I didn't feel like the Lord even said to have an altar call this morning. He didn't to my heart. But, but I felt like he did say, while Leslie just 
place this morning. Just take time, just close your eyes, deal with stuff. Deal with stuff. And the things that you may have brought in that are of the world, and I want to I clear something up. You know, when we go out into the other world, sometimes you have to build relationships with the unsaved. So I'm not saying don't have anything to do with the unsaved. You know, don't go to the movies. Don't, I, I'm not going to give you the law. And I know when Glenn first asked me if I would preach, I said, well, I have this thing, but I don't want the people walk. I'm going to have to pray about it because I don't want people walking out feeling like they've been slapped upside the head with the law. <laughs> you know, I don't want that. I want, you, I want you to feel enveloped by grace and instruction. Wise counsel. Wise counsel from the Lord. So this morning, I just want you to do business. Just take this time as Leslie is playing and just do business with God. If you feel that you've done that, if this is really relating to anything that you feel you've, you've. In Paul's writings, he talks about points of reckoning. And he doesn't say it that way, but you read his writings and you'll know that he states it. We reckon ourselves this, we reckon ourselves that. Messages like this, Karen, become points of reckoning for a church. It's one of those places that we can look to and measure. Because this is so important. I, I'm not even going to try to tag in on it, except just to say that in recent weeks, I've helped to deal with situations that came into churches because of the attitude you were talking about. It would have never been there if they hadn't tried to mix and try to blend in. And then you have to go back and it's not an easy thing, but you got to put the axe to the root of the tree and stop it. And it has been pervasive in our culture. Thank you. What a tremendous word from God. I know those are not easy, but at the same time, they are easy because you're doing what God wants you to do. And I'm glad you preached that and not me because you can do it with a lot better attitude than I would have. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Next uh, Saturday morning at 8 o'clock, Everybody that can, we're going to try to paint the entryway of the church and get it matching this. Uh, we're going to have all the materials here and everything ready to go. Um, I'm, I've kind of been told by the powers that be that I need to not be in that. But we're going to, I think, I'm pretty sure, I hate to commit him without him being here, but I'm going to talk to Mike Garzanelli about kind of heading it up a little bit, and I think he will do that. But if he doesn't, we'll have somebody here that can help to oversee it and move it forward. So all, all the men that can, we can put a lot of people to work out there in that entryway and get that done very quickly. So uh, if you can help, we'll start at 8 o'clock. And I, I don't know how long it'll take, but it won't take very long if we have enough hands. And so some of you ladies, it. I'll be here too. Some of you ladies. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I'm, I'm just challenged this morning. I, God has been talking to me about what Karen was, has said, and I, I'm reminded of one of my old friends. He's gone now, but uh, he was a pastor in El Paso for a long time, and he said, the world reflects the church. And he said, if the church stops being a light, the world will no longer reflect the church, and you'll not be able to see the church in your culture. And in this nation, churches have quit being the church and they've started to blend in. Many years ago in Europe, they sent over some 
politicians of some sort to look at this nation and see why it was growing so fast and doing so well, and it was in those years, and it's still doing pretty good. But they came back, and it was interesting what they said. Now, these were politicians, and one of them said, because of the great power in the pulpits of the United States, there is a great power in the people. And another one said, if the fires of the pulpit ever dies in the United States, then the fires of compassion and the drive of the people will go away too. Guess what? But it's coming back. You hear me? <laughs> I'm telling you, there's a fire burning. It's not very bright right now, but it's burning in this nation. And we're going to see the hand of God at work one more time. When I was in El Paso, I had a, well, you guys know Lily. Uh, Lily's quite the young prophetess, and she got her finger pointing at me. And she said, God's saying, don't you quit. You've got one more mountain to climb, and you've got one more thing to overcome, and we've got one more thing to do whatever with. But I, I, I'm always amused when that happens. But she was very, very passionate about that. God says, don't you quit. And that's what I'm saying to you this morning. God says, don't you quit. Don't you go and go back and look for what happened to you when you first got saved 30 years ago. Come on with us. We're going to go see something happen for God. Thank you, Karen. God bless you. Thank you for coming. Overflow.